0: Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Darby Toth, a Technical Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies.
1: And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services Rep with Western United Dairies. Hey Darby, welcome to Week 9. You've been out in the field a lot this week, I hear?
0: Yeah, I just got back actually from Gustine wrapping this up and then I'm really looking forward to it being Friday, so... Yes,
1: me too. Um, and I never thought after nine years of driving around in my car three or four days a week, I never thought I would be so ready to be back out on the highway. But this has been a long year in addition to a long week. So it's Friday and we're getting back out to see Dairyman, which is good in a lot of ways. Um, we do have a shorter episode though this week because it's just going to be a little tougher. I think we're realizing to do the podcast and all of our regular field duties. Um,
0: I don't know. What yeah, do you think? I think it's just going to shift a little bit, but I do think you're right. I think there are going to be some weeks where we're maybe a little lighter on the episodes or it's just one of us dependent on what our field schedule looks like. So if one week we're missing our witty banter and it's just one of us, then our listeners will know why. Absolutely. And, and
1: no, we're out there taking posters and no trespassing signs and filling out paperwork for your fellow dairy producers. Well, speaking of, um, as I mentioned, this week's episode is a little bit lighter. We do have Tiffany for a market update. Um, Devin and I sat down. We've been getting a lot of questions about the referendum. So we used some information that UDFC shared with us um, and CDFA and had a little quick Q&A with some of the most frequent questions we're getting. And then, of course, we're going to replay Anya's virtual kitchen table meeting from this week. I thought it was super interesting stuff about... Some of the bills that have been introduced in Sacramento and some of the policy directions that Wood is taking on
0: in 2021. Yeah, I've seen some exciting legislative stuff come across my email lately, so I'm really looking forward to this upcoming year.
1: Absolutely, and Anya kind of covers how that should look, we're hoping, um, for Western. So lots on the docket. I think after a year of quarantine, we're all ready to just hit the ground
0: running really fast in 2021. I agree, and with that being said, maybe we'll roll right into Tiffany's market update.
2: Hi hey folks. Hope you had a great week. Well, the direction of all commodities this week was up. Uh, we had a couple things that fueled that. We started the week off with a really positive global dairy trade session uh, at Oceana. In fact, the auction index uh, jumped fifteen percent the highest level we've seen uh, since March two thousand and fourteen. Uh, gains in whole milk powder really led the drive upward um, as China came back uh, post-Lunar New Year uh, with some pretty strong demand. Uh, They were definitely in the driver's seat, um, with reports pointing to continued stockpiling interest from there. Um, At the same time, some modest milk production performance out of New Zealand uh, appeared to kind of also stir the pot uh, with some concern about future availability. And ongoing logistics issues and concerns of about, you know, overall commodity price inflation, uh, we think really did also encourage buyers to kind of load up. So uh, in the aftermath, we um, saw both butter and nonfat dry milk gain ground. Nonfat was up 4.5 cents for the week, up to 117.75. Uh, butter enjoyed an even larger jump. Uh, But not only the positive GDT, but the fact that um, it was the new transition to the new crop butter season on March 1st. You know, sometimes we do see a new crop pop, if you will. And in fact, this year was quite large, um, a record 16 and a half cents to ring in the new season. And, you know, Tuesday's bullish GDT kind of uh, uh, fanned the flames and we ended up uh, ringing a bell of one seventy one fifty on butter, the highest level since uh, July 2020. Uh, but by midweek, sellers brought some product in and um, we, you know, pushed a little lower. We did still in the week up $0.22 cents to one sixty nine. We also got a dairy products report on Thursday, uh, reminding that the butter churns were pretty busy and January butter production was up. 7% year over year and uh, anecdotal reports continue to suggest churning activity remains pretty busy with relatively um, low-priced cream to keep keep uh, feeding the churns. Uh, also on butter, we're hearing a little more indications around export inquiries, um, not a whole lot around ex- actual bookings. Recall that for export, we need to make 82% on salted butter. Uh, That's not typically what we produce in the U.S., so we've got to see some shift there. Um, We did get January's export numbers, though, and we we gained a little traction, uh, particularly going into Canada. We also, in Butter, saw USDA announce the results of some of their Section 32 purchases for Butter. It looks like uh, plans to pick up a little short of 15 million pounds of product uh, from U.S. manufacturers here. Uh, moving over to cheese, also a positive week. Blocks uh, gained eleven and a half cents, up to one seventy three twenty five. Barrels gained eight and three cents to $1.5075. Um, demand seems pretty solid, particularly at the retail level, and a little bit better uh, from food service uh, as some, you know, we're seeing some restrictions ease in different parts of the country. On the supply side, though, contacts say that there still seems to be plenty of cheese out in the countryside, particularly as that new big plant in Michigan continues to ramp up. Uh, They do seem to be pulling some extra milk, um, which has left uh, others in the area a little bit shorter, um, as reported this week. Uh, back over to nonfat, too, to mention uh, as part of that dairy products report, we did get an update also on manufacturing uh, stocks, and those did move higher in January, up 8.8%, and that was pr- probably driven also by an increase in production uh, with definitely a skew back towards nonfat dry milk and away from s p California, in particular, nonfat production was really strong, output up over uh, more than 30% year over year. So kind of once again, bringing the USDA's uh, January milk production report into light. Uh, So we will see about revisions on that. As we move into next week, pretty quiet on the... um, reports side of the ledger. Uh, Friendly reminder, if you're interested in getting any DRP second quarter coverage, that deadline's uh, quickly approaching March 15th. Thanks all. Have a great week. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com slash safety.
0: Well, thanks again, Tiffany. We really appreciate you. And now we're going to hop over to a conversation that, Melissa, you were able to have with Devin discussing the quota referendum.
1: We'd like to welcome back Devin Gioletti, Western United Dairyman's board president to the podcast. Welcome, Devin. Hi, everybody. Hey, thanks for joining us, Devin. Today we asked you to be on um, because we've been getting a lot of questions about the uh, upcoming referendum that started this week in case listeners don't remember, this is a referendum on the decision to sunset the quota implementation plan in March of 2025, um, which is a result of United Dairy Families of California's petition to Secretary Ross last winter. Um, We've had a lot of questions. So um, UDFC actually engaged with California Department of Food and Ag this week and got a lot of those questions answered. So we thought we would um, join. I know board members have been getting questions as much as field reps and maybe go over some of those questions.
3: Yeah, for sure um, we always kind of felt that Western United's role in this in this quota decision was that of a uh, provider of information and facilitate discussion uh, amongst the, amongst dairy farmers um, you know quota is a dairy farmer asset and it should be the future of quota should be decided by dairy farmers so um, having members on both sides of this issue we felt that the most uh, the best role for Western was to yeah, facilitate uh, good debate and honest discussion. So um, after a after years long process, here we are. Um, so we're going to continue our role and uh, help provide everybody with some information on what's going to happen in the next week or two.
1: Perfect. Well, we'll jump right in, Devin. If you um, I know you have a few questions as a producer.
3: Yep. Uh, yeah. So these, uh, yeah, these questions were kind of came up from UDFC and CDFA. So I'd like to thank them for for uh, getting this together. So um, yeah, question number one, Um, the voting period for the referendum on the quip opened on March uh, 4th of 21. Today is March 5th. How come I have not received my ballot yet?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. We've been getting that one a lot. Ballots were mailed yesterday. So that was the big kickoff to the referendum was that CDFA put the ballots in the mail on March 4th. They should arrive in mailboxes sometime this weekend or week, depending on your proximity to Sacramento. I would highly recommend that if you haven't received your ballot by Friday, March 12th, you check with CDFA and find out why and request a duplicate ballot if it's needed.
3: Great. Uh, Okay, question number two. How long do I have to return my ballot?
1: So the referendum um, voting period is, as we mentioned, started March 4th, it goes through June 1st of 2021. So to be eligible to be counted, a properly completed ballot must be, one, received by CDFA by June 1st or postmarked by June 1st of 2021. So even if you stick your ballot in your mailbox on June 1st, if it doesn't get that postmark, it will not be counted. And according to CFA, CDFA, ballots received by, them will remain sealed for a 10-day period following that deadline of June 1st, which will allow time for USPS to deliver ballots from far and wide across California that were postmarked, really important, postmarked by June 1st.
3: Perfect. Uh, Question number three. I really want to vote in this referendum, but I'm worried about not getting a ballot. How do I ensure that I receive a ballot?
1: So that's a really good question. And there may be some instances where certain farms don't receive a ballot for various reasons, depending on ownership and some different things. So it's really important to contact CDFA to ensure that they have the following information correct. They need the name of the shipper number and the pool producer number for your dairy, the name of the eligible producer on file who can sign the ballot. And in some cases, there's more than one. um, Your January 2021 market milk production in pounds, Um, If you do own multiple dairies, we need to make sure that we confirm the proper number of ballots eligible to be sent to you. And then they need to confirm the mailing address for all dairies. And even here at Western, we sometimes have an issue with that. The mailing address isn't always the same as the physical address. So um, the ballots will include the names of the authorized market milk producers on record for the dairy and their respective mailing addresses. So we'll just if you didn't receive a ballot, let's make sure that info is correct in their system. And then we do have a contact at CDFA Stephen Donaldson has been wonderful to work with, we will link his phone number and his email address on our website and in our show notes. Um, But whenever you're in doubt, make sure you verify with CDFA before you mail your ballot to make sure that all the proper conditions are met so that it may be
3: counted. So Melissa what are some issues that could prevent my vote from being counted
1: according to CDFA, a ballot could be deemed invalid for a couple of different reasons. Um, One, you didn't sign and certify the ballot. So that's really important. And we'll put this checklist in our update over the next several weeks so folks can remember. But remember to sign and certify your ballot. Um, Maybe there's an unauthorized signature on the ballot. So you need to make sure that signature matches up with the the, um, appropriate person that the ballot was mailed to. Um, With If you forgot to vote, so maybe you fill out your ballot, but you didn't indicate a yes or no vote, make sure you check that box for whichever choice you make. And then again, as we mentioned earlier, if your ballot does not get received or have a postmark um, on or before June 1st of 2021, um, then it's not going to be counted. CDFA did let us know there will be no occurring of ballots with defects like the ones we noted above. So if you feel like there was a mistake on your ballot and you Call them up. They will not even open ballots till 10 days after the voting period closes. So they will not. It's just like voting in a general election. They will not be letting you know if there's an issue.
3: If a producer has multiple dairies, will CDFA send out multiple ballots?
1: So that kind of depends on a few things. Um, it First of all, what is CDFA's records for dairy ownership show? So CDFA has let us know that It will combine multiple market milk dairies under um, same or exact ownership and count them as one eligible producer. So ballots will include the name of the authorized milk producer on record for that dairy or dairies um, under the same ownership and the respective mailing addresses. So this is why it's important to confirm proper ownership information with CDFA, if there are multiple owners, partners, or if you have multiple dairies with different partners. So um, if you do have dairies under different ownership, um, you may be eligible to receive multiple ballots. If not, you're likely only gonna receive one ballot. And that is really important because of the way the thresholds for voting are um, attained.
3: Perfect. Um, if I do not receive a ballot, who do I contact?
1: Yeah, we mentioned earlier, Devin, um, Stephen Donaldson at CDFA <laughs> has been a great resource and we will make sure to put his information in a lot of different places for producers to access it and we'll have it in our weekly updates also so if there's over the next few weeks of voting if there are questions they can reach out either to us if they feel more comfortable or directly to Stephen if they don't receive a ballot or that they have questions.
3: If I lose or misplace my ballot or believe that I am missing my ballot can a duplicate ballot be sent to me?
1: Yes, so CDFA has advised that in the event of a lost or missing ballot, a duplicate ballot may be sent out upon the request of the eligible producer. And um, we understand from them that the ballot will really clearly state that it's a duplicate and it will include the ballot number and the producer number. And if CDFA receives both the original and the duplicate ballots back, um, they will only count the duplicate. So make sure if you have a ballot that's lost or missing that you and then you maybe find it later that you only send the duplicate in. And if you do need to request a duplicate ballot for any reason, Stephen Donaldson, once again, is the contact at CDFA who can help you with that.
3: Great. I I think Um,
1: most of the questions we had were covered, Devin. Anything else you'd like to add to producers before we let you go?
3: No, looks like we have uh, three months to decide the future of quota. And, um, you know, in this, in this, uh, politically charged world we live in where people can't compromise or don't compromise, I, I think you know, I want to say I'm, I'm proud of uh, the way most dairymen came together um, had those difficult discussions um, used thought and reason to come up with a with a good plan here that um, that basically is a compromise, you know, so however you're going to vote, I'm just, I just want to say that I'm proud of the industry for coming together and, and um, you know, come up with a good compromise solutions so um here we are we uh it's been a long road so the next few months uh, will determine uh this issue possibly
1: well thanks so much for joining us for this Devin and a big shout out to Corinne over at UDFC and Stephen Donaldson at CDFA for both being so willing to put this information together and get it out to producers so they know exactly how this
3: process will work
1: thanks Devin have a good weekend
3: thank you
1: Another shout out and big thanks to Devin for joining us for that Q&A today and again if you have questions, please reach out to your field staff, to the Western office or to CDFA directly. Next up on the docket, we're going to rerun Anya's virtual kitchen table meeting from this week, which covers Western United's legislative strategy for 2021.
4: Well, thanks everyone for joining us. Um, Again, my name is Anya Radaba. I'm the CEO of Western United Dairies. I'm going to go through kind of a capital update today. A lot of the information that I'm presenting is hot off the hopper. We, that's what we call uh, when you drop a bill in the legislature, it's really, really new, which means that as things kind of coalesce around support or opposition, a lot of these bill numbers are subject to change. A lot of the engagement that Western United Dairies will be doing is also subject to change. So I just wanted to kind of put that disclaimer out there. Um, These are this is the initial drop of the hat. Um, we've done some pre- preliminary analysis as a team on which information we're gonna be carrying forward to our membership and our board uh, to really figure out where to focus our energy on because there is a lot. Um, after delaying this, the, the status of the state legislation, legislature session due to concerns around the pandemic, they started a few weeks later than they normally would have in January. The 2021 session is well underway. On February 19th was the introduction deadline for bills to be introduced into the legislature. And there was a lot of bills introduced this year. Uh, Over 2,200 bills have been introduced in the last three weeks. Um, A lot of them affecting animal agriculture and nutrition really dropped in the last two weeks, I would say. Uh, And so we're combing over those bills and I'm gonna list a few of the high priority ones that we know. Uh, most likely because of prior years they've been introduced, um, where the authors are, uh, where some of the support and opposition is going to be. But there's a number of new bills that have come up this year that are um, going to be head scratchers on whether or not and how we engage, because sometimes you just don't want to take the bait, right? Sometimes you have to figure out um, where the best traps are to set off and which ones maybe we can work through and uh, coexist with. So I'll start with one of the big ones, and this is one that, and I'm really appreciative to see the Dairy Council of California on the call. Um, They have been fantastic policy partners. Um, I won't put Tammy in too much of an uncomfortable position. She cannot lobby, but um, to be very clear, they are the policy balance for the nutrition space for for the dairy industry in California and we rely very heavily on their expertise uh, in terms of how we can engage with the legislature um, as a group that can lobby. But um, again, wonderful partnership that we've been building with them, and I can't say thank you enough. But this first one that I'm gonna go through is um, it's a natural opposed position. We've been opposing a bill. um, This year it's introduced as 558. It's a bill um, authored by Assemblymember Mazarian. And it essentially provides extra funding for school districts to provide a plant-based option on their menu. There's a number of challenges uh, that I know that we're working through with this bill. We've worked through it pretty, pretty consistently over the last several years. Um, obviously our mission as farmers is to feed the world. Um, it's, it's certainly something that we, we share that mission with the Dairy Council of California But generally this bill is troublesome because we have school districts who are desperate for money and they will take money um, just about in any fashion they can find. But um, given the nutrition qualities that dairy has, uh, this is an alarming uh, bill for a number of reasons. And so we're going to be heavily engaged on this bill again this year. There were some tentative concessions that we got last year with uh, the author that this year, it's kind of like it all started over again. Um, Given that nutrition access and nutrition deserts have become even more prominent in the last year because of the pandemic, um, we're certainly going to be leaning heavy in that space with with, with regard to this bill. Um, This bill is one of about eight or nine plant-based nutrition bills that have been introduced as it relates to the school lunch program. Um, Some of the other ones are not quite as baked. Um, There are a number of bills that tie greenhouse gas emissions to industry sector in terms of how the school lunches are supposed to be offered. Those are, that was just introduced uh, last week. So these are, I'm not gonna go ahead and go through all the bill numbers because for most of our members, that doesn't mean much until you guys see it in our update. But uh, these are all areas that we have to be really cognizant of in terms of consumption of dairy products. And we wanna make sure that although people need and should have choices that they're not, Eliminating food food products because of um, poor arguments around environmentalism um, or GHG effects. And so those are areas that we're seeing a whole new wave of um, anti-animal agriculture uh, spirit with. There's a lot of um, activism in those spaces that has now basically been disguised as environmentalism. And so the joining of those forces as we take on these bills is something that our government affairs team has to keep in mind. Um, And they're, they're definitely getting a a podium. Uh, But last year, one of the answers, and this is something that I published in our update a couple different ways. One of the answers to these plant based school lunch offerings that the governor's office heard very clearly from us and of course other people was to introduce this um, farm to fork program which is a really uh, big effort in focusing on California products, fresh and nutritious access uh, across the state with these products. And so I think that the governor's office has really signaled that that's where he wants the energy around uh, plant-based food, plant-based agriculture to be in. So this is gonna be a really interesting dynamic as the legislature tends to have its own ideas on how to fund things. And they are the the purse string holder. So the other one that, um, and I know Paul, Susan, and I were going through this yesterday, that uh, has become a big watch for the organization, is um, one by uh, Assemblymember Robert Revis. He's introduced it, uh, AB 377, which, um, in so many words, and for those of our members on the call that are familiar with the clean drinking water space, uh, this bill kind of rolls back a lot. It does it kind of? It completely rolls back a lot of the work that we've done with CV salts. Um, There are another number of ad groups that are lining up to oppose this bill, and I think that that's probably a very wise course of action, but there are um, challenges as it relates to who the bill sponsors are. This is something that I know Western and our members have been really dedicated to in this space. Uh, We are pretty vulnerable in the clean drinking water space, which is why we spent so much time, money, and energy on CV salts. And then before that, you guys are all remember the clean drinking water bill that ultimately ended up in cap and trade. Those two bills and that set of policy ideas are heavily threatened by some of the work that the the bill is proposing to do in the Porter Cologne space. Um, Shifting gears a little bit, sorry, I'm talking a thousand miles a minute because I wanna make sure I have enough time for questions. Um, Shifting gears a little bit, We are um, broadly supporting a number of fire-related suppression bills. Uh, Our our partners over at California Cattlemen's Association have been working really diligently to expand grazing uh, forest fuel load reduction, Um, but in addition to that, they're also pushing for some lower indemnity and liability responsibilities for burn bosses. Um, In order to maintain controlled burns across the state, And this affects our local resource conservation districts. It affects our local irrigation districts. They have to burn off a lot of noxious weeds, a lot of invasive weeds. Um, And in order to maximize that controlled burn space by the burn bosses throughout the state, and this also affects tribal grounds as well, um, we're trying to get the state to agree to some lower um, indemnification standards in that space. And that's not to say that that there's been irresponsible decisions. It's mostly to, I think, facilitate more land burning interface next to urban, inter- urban areas like Sonoma and Marin. Um, because of the proximity of the urban environments in those spaces, the burn bosses have been hesitant to do their jobs in a lot of those environments. So uh, because the indemnification is um, they, they basically get in a lot of trouble if there's a spark that goes the wrong way. And so we're trying to balance that uh, with a lot of work in the legislature. So um, at a bigger picture scale, and you may have read as a member, you may have read our update that we published earlier this week on Tuesday morning, excuse me, Wednesday morning, um, about methane. And I'd like to take a minute to talk about the the chessboard that's been laid out for the dairy industry when it comes to methane and methane regulation. For the last five years now, the industry has been engaged in reducing our methane emissions by 40% um, on the manure side, which is required of us in a law that was written in 2016 called 1383. And we have done so in a remarkable way. There has been a tremendous amount of partnership from the state of California incentivizing our farmers, both through dairy digester programs and the alternative manure management practices to reduce that methane. And we've done so in a a fantastic way. So we've now hit a precipice where we are waiting for this ominous report from the California Air Resources Board that uh, at this time we're concerned it may suggest that we need to regulate enteric emissions. Um, There are a lot of numbers being thrown around, but our board is taking this threat very seriously. There are a number of unknowns as it relates to enteric regulation, how we would do it, what we would do it with, would it be incentivized, would it be expensive, is it healthy for the cows? They're finding a lot more research as it continues to be necessary in that space, and that's fine. Uh, We don't want to get in the way of progress, but because we are a in-product environment. We want to make sure that the product, the cows, our processors, all those things down the supply chain can kind of accept some of those technologies on top of the fact that it may or may not be affordable for most dairies. So the concept around regulating enteric we believe is not a legal one. We believe that ARB doesn't have that authority. And so It's, I think, worth our time as an organization, and it's very worthwhile that our members know this is a fight that we are going to stand up to, and it's not an acceptable arrangement to break the deal we made with the legislature over regulating our manure, um, which, quite frankly, we've done a wonderful job doing. So we're really proud to talk about that story in the sustainability space. We certainly have stepped up to meet the GHG challenge that was presented, um, and we want to keep doing so, but I think that we want to make sure that our requests to the legislature, our requests to the governor's office are really consistent um, and they match the efforts that have been made so far in that space, which is to lower our, our emissions from manure. So yeah, those are some brief updates from the Capitol. I wanted to also mention for those on the phone that today is the beginning and opening day for the referendum to sunset the quota implementation program, um, along with equalizing the RQAs. That is live. The referendum is officially open on CDFA's website. You can also visit our website for additional frequently asked questions, um, but you will be receiving your ballot in approximately seven to 10 days, maybe a little bit less, depending on how fast the mail is going. If you have additional questions about that right off hand. Uh, The ladies did a wonderful podcast last weekend, uh, should have been released on Saturday and on this same issue. So with that, I'll briefly stop talking and entertain any questions that folks might have.
2: Anya, this is Tammy. I just have a quick question.
1: Um, Are there any, um, and I'm sure you're doing this, but um, conversations happening within the dairy groups like with Dairy
0: Cares and Dairy Institute to um, make sure that
2: everybody is aware of um, some of these bills. I'm I'm thinking specifically
4: not now um, 558. Yeah, so Dairy Cares is not allowed to lobby. Um, They're in the similar boat as you, but I know that um, I spoke with the co-ops about it last weekend, last Friday. Um, They're aware um, of what it looks like, the landscape. I think, and Dairy Institute certainly has been a wonderful ally as they have been the last two years. This is the third third introduction of this bill. Um, each year, I notice that it gets a little bit different in how it offers the money to the school districts. So this is this is going to be a process of working with the school districts um, and making sure. I mean, it's really it's a, this is a space that we need partners other than just the dairy industry which is why you know, your, your facilitation is so important as the Dairy Council uh, lead there, because you can bring associations like you know the American Heart Association to the table, um, you know, some other groups that have a lot more credibility in the child nutrition space, frankly, than mm-hmm. people that obviously uh, shtup for dairy farmers. <laughs> but I think that um, everyone's gonna be rowing in that same direction. It's just, it's a matter of expanding those partnerships um, as we move our opposed strategy forward, we want to give Nazarian a lot of good reasons to think about, um, whether or not he wants to, to die on the sword for this type of bill. I don't know if that answered your question, but good. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, if there aren't any questions, that was like the briefest kitchen table meeting (laughs) I think I've ever given. Um, There are, and again, I gave you guys a kind of a a, a 5,000 foot elevation um, overview. I did not go into the animal rights uh, sector bills. There are about six that um, I know I've mentioned in an update or two the last six, seven months. Uh, They have to do with ensuring that our animals have legal protection and um, are offered an attorney as a representative of the animal. Um, that's a very serious conversation in some circles, but, uh, obviously it's, it's something that I'm not sure has a ton of traction. We're, we're trying to be engaged participants on that while not just flailing our arms. And you're, when you think about some of the, and and a lot of the, so the other four bills that kind of bleed into that at this time are, um, very isolated to folks that don't think we should ever own any animals, including cats and dogs. And that's fine, um, but I didn't mention those specifically because I don't want people to get too worked up about them. Um, if they do look like they're moving forward, we'll, we'll get a little bit more engaged, but obviously we think people uh, deserve the right to be heard in the legislature. And if they find legislative champions in those spaces, that's, that's completely their prerogative. It's just the same thing that we do. Um, But uh, in general, the plant-based school lunch program bills are something that uh, we're really flagging with a lot of intensity because, again, they're being presented in more of an environmental veil than a nutrition veil. They failed on a number of occasions to make the nutrition argument uh, win the day, which, I mean, I would suggest that thanks to Western and thanks to our engagement with Dairy Council over the last two years that that's been the case. But they're really shifting to this GHG uh, environmental inventory uh, conversation, and that's uh, that's where we have to keep, you know, reminding folks of where our water uses are, where our sustainability is, um, and why, in general, this would limit nutrition access across the board um, by uh, expanding expanding definitions of, of options for kids. Is I don't know um, a lot of kids that will choose all those options and and still get their nutrition requirements, but that's a uh, i'll wait for the experts to assist us in testifying on those bills well if you have any questions after you listen to this podcast or this um, kitchen table meeting please don't hesitate to reach out to me my email is anya and at always happy to go into more detail and i wish you a wonderful upcoming weekend
0: Well, thanks again, Anya, and as we wrap up this week, we want to give a brief plug for next week's virtual kitchen table meeting, which will feature Tiffany LaMendola, our contract economist with Blimling. She'll be joining us Thursday, that's the 11th, at 11, to bring members an economic update. We'll have more info and a Zoom link in our Facebook events and the newsletter, so please check that out
1: awesome well and a huge shout out and thank you to tiffany again um, and devin and anya for joining us for today's episode and thank you to all our listeners and members remember to reach out to us with questions comments and content requests MLima lima at wudairies.com or d-a-r-b-y at wudairies.com and remember we'd love it if you could rate review and subscribe on your favorite platform
0: While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors.
1: Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous 2020 business sponsors: Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services. Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at that's info at W D A I R